We apologize for this brief interruption in the show. As many of you likely know, the Higher Standard Podcast is officially sponsored by Transcend Company. Transcend has been my longtime provider for both testosterone and peptide therapies, but they offer so much more. Whether you're interested in health, wellness, or longevity, it all begins with you getting your blood work done. A lab draw will help you get the numbers and establish your baseline. You can go to transcendcompany.com slash THSP. That's transcendcompany.com slash THSP. Or you can click the link in the show notes on any streaming platform and on YouTube. Fill out your information and one of the representatives will contact you to get your journey started today. Now back to the show. Everyone, we live? Yes, sir. Ooh, let's go. Are there three red lights on the on the board? <laughs> Bro, I count that shit like four times every time. <laughs> hey, don't let him fool you. We gotta keep asking. <laughs> yeah, I just Curiosity killed the cat, but it didn't kill the podcast. Let's go. Let's go. Welcome back to the number one financial literacy podcast in the world. Sitting next to me, as always, my partner in time, the one and only Saeed Omar. Ooh, thank you, man. Sitting next to me, as always, my partner in crime, Chris Nahibi. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Mm, And behind the ones and twos, if we had ones and twos, DJ Arun. Hello, everyone. Oh, how's it going, man? How you doing back there? Yeah, there you go. Doing good, doing good, man. Tomorrow is Halloween. So excited about that. Shit, I didn't even remember that. Yeah, really? Oh, because you did you're big on the office thing. That's why. Oh, dude, I saw your pictures, Chris. How cute. What what cute? Oh, the the picture from the office? Yeah, on Friday. Carter. Yeah, yeah. We have uh for those of you listening, we have every year we do an office trick or treat. We bring in all the kids of all the employees that want to come, although not all of them attend. This year was actually a little bit low on attendance, but um and we do candy and you know, we try to make it fun. We did a each of the floors decorate their own sections. Yours was Wizard of Oz. Ours your was floor? Wizard of Oz, and it made me feel like a failure because the kids still haven't seen Wizard of Oz. Oh, wow. I'm like, wow, this is bad. And there was uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, my son came dressed as a trash truck, and myself and our chief banking officer, one of my closest friends, was uh, we were trash cans, <laughs> and we uh, followed him around. Yeah, and he got. A massive, massive bag full of candy. There's no physiological way he can even put a dent in eating any of that. No, no, no. How much do you let him just go as much as he wants? No, nah, man. So normally we're we're pretty. I don't want to say like strict, but we you know we're pretty limited on what we'll give him and what we won't. Yeah. But uh, my wife this year took a different tack, man. It went dark. Oh. I get I get home and I start working on some podcast stuff and and they're. They're having like this back and forth conversation. I'm like, what? What is this about? And she's like, he's eating too much sugar, blah blah blah. And I'm like, okay, this is a classic Halloween conversation in every household across America. Right. Like, All right. Well, you know, honey, that's cool. We'll just, you know, we'll tape him off. She's like, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna teach him. And I'm like, okay. Uh oh. So I, I put some headphones on. I finish up some editing real quick, and I took my headphones off. And they're watching a YouTube video on why sugar's bad for you. <laughs> Explain to kids. She's, oh. And it's like an Indian scientist who's got like an Indian accent, but he's extremely articulate. Yeah. But it's also somebody with an accent that my son's never heard before. Yeah, was he receptive to it? He was receptive. I walk over and he's like stunned at these visuals because he was trying to say how it triggers the mechanism in your body to want more calories. Yeah. And, and it just, and I'm like, honey, I think this is a bit extreme. And she's like, he doesn't want any more candy, and he hasn't touched any candy since then. Yeah, Adam's really receptive to that, too. I'll sit down with him, and if he starts to act out a little bit, he'll. if I just pull him aside and I ask him, hey, acknowledge how you're acting right now. Is this different than normal? He'll say, yeah. I'll be like, do you know why that is? And he'll be like, the candy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and the sad part is, I think we've had both conversations with the room. 
Arun, do you know why you're acting the way you are right now? Low on sugar. <laughs> LBS. <laughs> there it is. Oh, uh, there it is. Well, before we go too far down the rabbit hole of of topics, let's uh let's get to the show, shall we, kids? Let's do it. Starting off the show, top of the show, we got some outstanding mortgage data from my one and only favorite source. It's it's my number one spot I go to every single day. The Kobisi letter. Once again, if you don't follow them on X, they are amazing. The data is succinct. It's to the point, and everyone's going to get political, but their their economic stuff, man, they're really good at comparing periods of time, like the current one, mm-hmm. to previous parts of different types of economies, and it's really profound. Is society just now accepting X? People don't even say formerly known as Twitter. Because Well, I have problems with that, because if you're going to say, you're not going to X someone, you tweet someone, yeah. right? It's to, to send a message on the Twitter platform was like, to tweet. I don't feel like that was thought out enough. I'm going to X you. That, you know, Elon Musk is is literally already said that he's going to add a dating service to the X app. Hmm. And I'm like, okay, there's already enough pornography so, in the he's world. Got like, what so are we doing? many ideas, this guy. I know, but he needs to slow his roll, bro. Like, yeah. Just pick one and roll with it. Yeah, just delegate, man. Oh, speaking of which, I don't know if you guys got your resume ready or nothing, but uh, <laughs> the boys from the All In podcast are looking for a CEO for the All In Entertainment. They want to build a full conglomerate around a media business around their all in. Oh, wow. Look at so, them. Yeah. So if you guys want to get a job you know, <laughs> that pays anyway, <laughs> is this your way of kicking us off the show? No, just, you know, I, I may have submitted your resumes already. <laughs> okay. Trying try to get me a third or fourth job. <laughs> Bro, it's arguable. You don't even have one in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> then we're going to move to the mortgage market. It's so bad. Lenders want ex employees to give back their bonus checks. God damn, dude. I read this one, and as an attorney, I'm like, how in the actual fuck? And there was qu- there was quotes from the lender who, who wants their, their money back from the employees. They're right. at lead counsel saying they knew the agreements, were sticking to it. They know their obligation. I'm like, god damn, cold-blooded, bro. That is a little dark, man. Yeah, it was dark. That's bad PR. So, of course, we have to talk about it and talk some shit. Have to. Obligated. Yeah. I don't want to. Uh, I mean, it's there. I read it, and I was like, well, got to show that on the show. <laughs> how do you not? Everybody gets a new asshole tonight. <laughs> Sponsored by the higher standard. standard. There you go. <laughs> then we're going to move on to the chart of the day. One of my favorite Instagram pages, if you want succinct data, but presented visually, of course, hence chart of the day. All about credit card balances. There's going to be three charts there that are going to make you feel all sorts of sexy and afraid. Unfortunately. Yeah. Sexy and afraid. That should be yeah. a TV show. Sexy. Like uh, naked, naked and afraid. And afraid. But you, sexy and afraid. You got into that? No, I never saw that. That, that seemed like just a bad idea. Yeah, that's a bit much, man. I don't want to ruin anybody's fallacy, and I don't want to ruin anybody's idea of what's behind the movie magic in Hollywood. But I hate to say this, the porn stars you see in adult entertainment don't look like that walking around normally. <laughs> yeah, are they and dieting they, down? And they certainly don't look like that after not grooming for four days on an island. <laughs> so it, it, as sexy as the idea of naked and afraid like, right. might be, even a supermodel... For five days on an island, ain't gonna look too hot. I mean, how afraid are you when you got a camera crew just like rolling around? I'd be very afraid. You want to know why? Because they get to eat food and you don't. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like, is that is that how it works? I didn't see the show. I didn't see it either. Somebody I don't know if you hunt for your own food or not. Yeah. Then we're gonna talk about here's Americans' net worth for every age for people under thirty five. It's actually up one hundred and forty two percent. We'll explain why, but we'll explain why this chart is really really bad for those under thirty five but haven't bought a home yet. Mm. There you go. And uh, spoiler alert, it might be up 142%, but 142% of a little bit is not a lot. Yeah, there you go. You got, you got to consider all I do factors. Maths. Yeah, you did the I math. I do maths. 
<laughs> then we'll move to the Fred's preferred inflation gauge, showing the biggest monthly jump since May. Uh-oh. And M&A to explode in 2024. Saeed and I have been to talk about this for a long time. But the most exciting part of the show, mm. the part you should stick around to the bitter, sexy, nasty, dirty end, the sticky part of the show, it's the reviews, baby. Man, these reviews are starting to get really good. People are getting creative. Mm, fire. I understand how some people might be hesitant to follow up reviews like the ones we're going to read tonight. It's going to be hard to beat. The, the it's going to be hard to beat, them, yeah. but don't don't let it scare you. Don't be outdone. If you have to use ChatGPT to come up with a review is equally as good as one of these, we will not judge you. We won't judge you. Just sign off with ChatGPT. Yeah. Just so just we know. Sponsored by ChatGPT. Whatever. Yeah, yeah there you go. Pay credit where it's due. Can and, you really plagiarize ChatGPT? I don't think it, no. I if it's giving can. it to you. Right. Not plagiarism. I don't think so. I mean, you, you know what? In, you can just use ChatGPT and not tell us. That's fine. <laughs> For our podcast listeners out there, whether that's on Apple or on Spotify, go ahead. Now's a good time to leave us an honest five-star review. Uh, if you're over on YouTube, make sure you hit that like button, subscribe, ring that notification bell, do all the good, good stuff. We really appreciate it. It means a lot to the show. Yeah. And our wallets. So we like big wallets. Uh, yeah. Someday. Maybe when we grow up. Yeah. We're poor. <laughs> All right, so starting off the top of the show, Kabisi Letter. Here is a chart showing all outstanding mortgages by their mortgage rate. And if you're driving along the road and you can't see it, don't worry. We'll get there. You'll know exactly what this chart looks like. But essentially, all borrowers have mortgage rates that are well below current levels. And uh, well below, I mean, the majority of them are under 4%. Oh, yeah. So, and there's a huge, huge portion somewhere between, call it, 2.75 to 3.25. I would say the majority of people have rates in that space. That is fucking low, man. I know. Well, in fact, nearly 30% of borrowers have a rate below 3%, which is less than half of the current rate. Even if mortgage rates fell back to 5%, a large share of homeowners would still have a financial disincentive to move. Mm -hmm. Reasons why they will not move. This is exactly why housing supply remains at its lowest level in history. A different trigger will be needed to increase supply and lower prices. And I thought there'd be some value, the three of us, not intelligent guys, having a non-intelligent conversation about what we think might not intelligently happen. That's what the comment trolls like to make us think, don't they? No, I, I troll myself. I don't, okay, this is a spoiler alert. I'm sorry. You know those accounts that troll us from time to time? Yeah. That's just me trying to create engagement with me. <laughs> I wouldn't put it past you. I wouldn't put it past you, dude. You're like, Say, can you believe this guy? Get his ass. Yeah. You go to his page. You go to his page. He's following 600 people, but no pictures. Yeah, yeah. that's me. You know all those private profiles with no images and like That's no all, name? Chris. Yeah, Starfish22. Yeah. That's me. Starfish22. <laughs> chocolate snowflake <laughs> yeah that's all me in any event um so here's what i'm thinking okay so obviously we know this has been a problem and obviously this this is an interesting weird thing we've done in the economy that we haven't really experienced before despite all the trolls want to tell you that we have what do you think is the catalyst to make a change here and do you think it makes it changes do you think home values come down in a meaningful way what gets you there so we know in in order for home values to come down um some Part part of what needs to happen is inventory needs to come online, yeah, right? One way or another, alluding to, yeah. which is what you're alluding to, right? Um, currently, right now, this is from Redfin's data. There's 1.5 million listings online. This is down slightly month over month, but it's down roughly around 16 percent from a year ago. Yeah, 
Um, and what happened at the Great Recession that we routinely cite on the show, 2.9 million homes came online in order for it to come online. Why? Right? What happened? A lot of people lost their jobs. I think in order for a flood of inventory to come online that would ultimately help correct some of this issue or adjust, there would need to be a massive amount of unemployment. But okay. I don't see that happening all at once anytime soon. And we've talked about an earnings recession where companies are becoming less and less profitable over time and maybe it cycles through, but I don't see a flood coming in at any given one time. Do you? Well, we know that historically speaking, unemployment typically peaks at after the end of a recessionary economy. After it's been declared over. Declared over. So in this particular instance, we've not had an official declaration of a recession, but let's just say hypothetically, okay, it did start in January like we thought of 2022. 2022, got it. So if it started in January of 2022 and we've been in a recession since that time, one could argue that after 14 years of artificial interest rate deflation, after unprecedented stimulus, after unprecedented PPP, uh, and, and all the things that we've done, I think you could argue very, very well that a prolonged period of a recessionary economy would be warranted. And I think the Fed's kind of alluded to the fact they think that's going to happen. We're going to hold rates for higher, for example. Mm -hmm. So if they think that they need to hold rates for higher because we need to have a prolonged period of pain for the consumer, which we've said many, many times is the holding of rates, not the raising of rates, mm -hmm. then this is really just starting. And if it's just starting... You'll typically have a declared recession and the end of a recession and then the unemployment spike up. So I think you're going to get a long, long way to go, maybe a year or two before you really see a, a good, strong pivot in the housing market for, for at least the inventory reasons. Right. I think you've seen it from the right reasons. But I also think there might be another catalyst. Okay. At first, I thought, okay, maybe it's commercial real estate. I know that's what we said on the show. But then the more and more I started thinking about commercial real estate, the more and more I think, okay, yeah, sure, there's going to be some impacts, but it'll be localized. It won't impact consumers the same way defaulting on homes will. So what's going to make a consumer default in their home? Arun, you got any thoughts? Um, credit card? Credit Cheater. Card. Guy's looking forward in the show. <laughs> Cheating bastard. It's, it's, I, I think more so than that, too. I mean, there's some data out with um, auto loan industry. Credit cards, auto, auto definitely. But I thought consumer debt was really the better answer. Yeah. And that's part of the reason why we've structured the show the way we have tonight, because I want to hit on those topics for some food for thought. Mm -hmm. Some things that make you go, hmm. <laughs> oh. You're going to sing it? You almost did. <laughs> you almost did. I saw you. Come on. Give it to me. No, I'm not going to get I'm not, I'm not above that. I can't. You're sing your voice. I'm not that good. Come on, bro. No, I can't. Why? I do it from time to time. You make fun of me every time. I don't make fun of you. I think you do a great job. You're a lying piece of shit. <laughs> Give it to me. Come on. Arun, is there been one time I sang on the show he didn't make fun of me? Dude, we got, nope. we got these uh, Michael Jackson microphones, bro. Come on. Michael Jackson did record on a Shure SM7B. Yeah, not these microphones. Just No, that'd yeah. be gross. Yeah, that, These that are new Shure SM7Bs. Right, yeah, we, we would not do that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, th would that be worth any extra money? Or would it be less? No, no, you know what? It's not. We're not. We're no, not, no, yeah. not do that. I have a question for you, Chris. Um, I, I was pretty young back in 2007, so I don't remember the recession. I know the effects of it, right? But when you're in a recession, do they actually announce we're in a recession or is it usually like after the recession ends or like, oh, last year or two years ago, we were in a recession or the last few? 
Okay, great, great question. First and foremost, thank you for addressing it to me specifically and not Saeed. Yeah, he like he appreciates that because on the last episode, you did it. You addressed me. <laughs> Threw a lot of salt my way, bro. Yeah. And I had to edit that shit. That's the worst part about you guys fucking with me on the show is I got to listen to that shit three times afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like this motherfucker. I can get more and more angry as it goes yeah. by. So uh, typically speaking, the National Bureau of Economic Research is the independent organization that is tasked with the declaration of a recessionary economy. Air quotes, independent. Yeah. <laughs> Unless, you know, somebody's got their hand in the money, right? <laughs> yeah. So anyway, it, it, the way this has worked historically, and I, a great deal of pause here, is historically it's every recession for the last 10 recessions has been declared after two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth, which we had uh, Q1 and Q2 of Jan, uh, going from January to June of 2022. Yes. So normally people would go, oh, okay, that was the start of a recession. But the National Bureau of Economic Research typically doesn't declare that until about, call it 12 to 18 months afterward. Mm -hmm. Right? So you can, in theory, be in a recessionary economy if it's a prolonged one. But most recessionary economies don't last that long. Now let's add, let's, let's go, let's put some tinfoil hats on. Oh, my favorite. Okay, yeah. yeah. What, why would the government want to now change the definition of what, you know, a recession is always known as two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth, right? Maybe they knew the pain that we're currently experiencing now was was going to happen, and if a, a recession was actually declared, it would have caused hysteria. I think that's a, certainly a big part of it. And for those of you who don't remember, uh, just prior to the July GDP number in 2022 when it came out at reporting on Q2 GDP growth, the White House, in an unprecedented move, put out a statement basically saying that two quarters, successive quarters of negative GDP growth was not, in fact, in a recessionary economy, that there were other things in the technical definition, which, by the way, I still haven't really gotten any clarity on. Mm -hmm. They basically cited that the average of GDI, gross domestic income, and GDP has to be negative. Right. And if it's not negative, then the two successive quarters, which had been the trigger for the last 10 recessions, in and of itself was not enough. So if you, and if you believe any of this, you would... It would just mean that actually the government might be working hand in hand with the Fed in that case, because look, it, the consumer has been propping up this economy for the greater portion of the last year and a half, okay? With money largely given to them by the federal government, right? So let's just say a recession would have been declared by Enber, National Bureau of Economic Research, mm -hmm. from January to June of 2022, and right? they still they still might do that. They still they still may do that, right? But say they do, say they did do that. I don't necessarily know the consumer would have continued to prop up the economy the way that it did. I think people would tend to freak out and maybe pull back a little bit. Well, I think there's a very clear reason why this happened that that's a little bit less tinfoil hatty. Okay. I think it just goes down to the commonality of greed. In uh, greed in a political sense, because you can have greed or lust for power. I think the White House, which had just gone through a Republican to Democrat pivot, whether you believe Donald Trump was a Republican or not, whatever. Right. But the Republicans just had power, and now the Democrats just got in power. And Joe Biden was very controversial for a number of reasons. He's certainly perceived to be a weaker president. And his approval rating, which I think is lower than Trump's currently right now, uh, and there's been a poll recently that I saw which suggested that if Donald Trump and Joe Biden were to run against each other right now, Donald Trump would win. Mm-hmm. There's certainly a lot of, and I'm not, again, taking a political stance one way or the other. These are just facts. I think the White House staffers knew enough that they had to protect the House advantage for the Democrats to think, okay, we've got a November 5th, 2024 election on the horizon. We can't walk our asses into a recession 
with this shit out there. Mm -hmm. So let's take a proactive stance where we say this is not the case. Now, the reality is their statement means jack shit to the National Bureau of Economic Research. It should mean nothing because they have their own independent responsibility to review. Right. So to answer your question in a long, convoluted way, Arun, typically speaking, you get the declaration of recession afterward, and the data typically shows that after it ends, you still see the increased growth in unemployment afterward. It's kind of one of those prolonged lagging effects. So it, it is not uncommon for us to be in a period right now and to wonder until at some point in time they say, oh, you've been in a rest recession for all these years. Right. Which, ironically, when you look back on all the media outlets and all the economists and all the bullshit you're seeing out there in the world, including podcasts, where people are going like, ooh, are we going to get a recession? Oh, J.P. Morgan Chase says no recession in 2024. Or, ooh, Brian Moynihan says no recession at all. Or, or ooh, soft landing yeah. or hard landing. Or, and the irony is they could have all been saying that shit while we were actually in a recession. Right, or 50% of Bloomberg's econ uh, economists are out there saying yeah. no chance of a recession, right? And you're like, okay, man, you could say that there's a chance or no chance, but the problem is so, To your, also to your point, Odun, is... When a, dis a recession is declared, it's always usually declared after the fact, backwards looking, right? The reason why we cite all the things that we cite on the show, whether it's the inverted yield curve or we're talking about credit card debt hitting all-time high, it's to show you that, look, the consumers are out there. They're feeling squeezed. They're feeling pinched. And the reason for that is probably because we're in a recession. Yeah. Look at the real-world tactile things you see around you. If shit looks fucked up, it's probably because it's fucked up. <laughs> exactly. I don't know how to be an economist, but I know how to say yeah, it. Yeah, if it walks like a duck, quacks like a duck. Yeah, it's a duck. Yeah, exactly. Did that answer your question? Yes, it did. Do the expletives uh -huh. help? Yes. I think that's I what feel, makes I, sense. I feel like they drive home yeah. the point. Because you're not going to see, I mean, you will see Noriel Rabini going, they fuck in the, in the economy. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I don't think there's any other, too many economists out there that do that shit. Right. All right, so let's pivot a little bit. I think the next article, is this the Wall Street Journal one? No, no. The next article was uh, the credit cards, wasn't it? The oh. charts? No, this charts? Is, I think this is the next was one. Was the next one? Okay, yeah. maybe I don't You want to go charts first? No, no. We'll do the Wall Street Journal, and then we'll go to the charts. I think the charts are sexier anyway. All right, from the Wall Street Journal, the mortgage market is so bad, lenders want ex-employees to give back their bonuses. The mortgage industry is notoriously feast or famine, but there's no... Well, I, you know what? I'm not even going to go there. Let's just say it's been a little bit challenging this particular time around. Yeah, exactly. Because the rate environment, despite the fact that the economy hasn't blown up the way it did in the Great Recession, it is very, very dry. And I got a lot of paragraphs here to read, all of which I thought were interesting and parts we could kind of break apart and talk about. Yeah, let's do it. I need you guys to say a prayer for me on this one. <laughs> <laughs> this is long. <laughs> Nice and slow. In the name of the father. <laughs> I'm not Catholic, but if I did, you know. All right. The mortgage industry is notoriously boomer bust, but this bust is particularly bad. And it's only getting started. As you are. That was uh that was Saeed. Reaching Just, for the Red yeah, Bull. His professionalism on the show is really second to none. <laughs> Sorry. Did you slam a Red Bull up against the pole? Yeah, I did. <laughs> Unlike previous housing downturns, there's no obvious way out, meaning this market. If the economy keeps chugging along, the Federal Reserve will continue to keep rates high, which would in turn keep the housing market in the dumps. If the economy sinks, the Fed may have to loosen rates, but a recession wouldn't do the housing market much good either. So I know a lot of you are thinking like, wait a minute, uh, that's one way, other way, they're all bad. Yes, they're all bad. Yeah. There's no clean way out of this if you're in the real estate 
in lending business, and I am very much tied to those businesses. That does not benefit me, that statement. Right. Many mortgage companies are growing desperate. They are laying off workers, merging with other lenders, or exiting the business altogether. And I can attest, I've seen this a lot. I think you and I have talked about this in the early days in uh, as much as like 2022. Yep. We were talking about all the layoffs that we were expecting to see and some of the things that we saw. Especially because this industry, especially the mortgage market industry, is very interest rate sensitive. So they're going to be hit first during this cycle. The pain for... The other sectors and industries are still to come. And so for those of you who are way, way, way back early days fans, you may remember that I gave a whole diatribe about Anthony Shea. Oh, yeah. And for those of you who don't know who Anthony Shea is, Anthony Shea is the guy who was the founder and CEO of Loan Depot. But way, way, way back in the day, he started a mortgage company, which he sold to E-Trade Bank. His mortgage company, he sold just before a recession. And then sold the E-Trade, got out of the business, literally went fishing. He's a sport fisherman as a hobby, big fish in the ocean. It's a pretty fucking competitive, interesting sport. Guy's a stud. Mm -hmm. That being said, he gets back in the business, starts Lending Tree. Then sells Lending Tree to uh, AIC Interactive, AIAC Interactive Corp. Uh, uh, Barry Diller, and I believe it was, and then Doug Lebda ran the Lending Tree arm, and he ran the arm called the Home Loan Center, which is the mortgage division. Uh, fun fact, the CFO at the time was Dara, who's now the CEO over at Uber. Oh, okay. Uh, but he sold then to Interactive Corp, IAC, and got out of the business just before the Great Recession. This guy's been able to time the exit for the mortgage businesses every fucking time with just unbelievable precision. And the first two times, I was like, this motherfucker's lucky. Yeah. Fuck him. Yeah. And honestly, I thought it was a fluke. And then he got back in and started Loan Depot. Just after the Great Recession, started scaling monumentally fast. Put put the business in Foothill Ranch, not too far away from his his home loan center, a lending tree corp. And I was I was stunned that this guy's back in. Like he had all this money. Why would he do it again? This time he takes the company public. Okay. He stays on as CEO, and then things start to get tough. And I'm like, ah, this guy's fucked. He, he didn't he didn't time it this time. Right. His luck has run out. He doesn't know. Fucking guy got out of the business. He, the company's public. He had a liquidity event, so he can sell his stock. Wow. He moved to chairman of the board, brought in a new CEO, and he's out fishing again. The man... How long ago was that? Do you remember? Ah, uh, man. It was uh, right around 2022, I think, if I have to go back in time. Maybe wow. 2021, 2022. I mean, like, he's got all the data right there in front of him, right? He just... He he knows. His gut, his instincts around the market are that fucking good. It is not... Once, twice, fine. Three times, you're you're more you're smarter than me. Yeah. He just knows. I mean, yeah. he, and it, honestly, and when he got out, I was like, oh, shit, it's going to happen again. Mm-hmm. That was my that was my canary in the coal mine for the industry, and then we saw all the layoffs in the mortgage industry afterward. Then you saw it roll into the banks, and then you saw it in the, into non bank lenders as well. So, and it hasn't gotten any better since then. Right, it's gotten very difficult. So, and, the, can, and then the reason why, just as a quick little recap, why you know mortgage lenders out there aren't making loans right now because they need to first make sure that the Fed has reached their terminal rate, right? Because if they made a loan last month, it, they could have made a better loan this month to make them even more money. So they would have to wait to see when they can, you know, deploy their capital the best. Particularly after the run on the banks, like Silicon Valley Bank and everything else, when when every bank was being criticized for having assets that were worth less than when they bought them. Right. Every time they make a loan, if you can make a loan for a higher rate the next day, that loan on your books is worth less than when you, quote, got it. Right. So everybody's afraid of being the next Silicon Valley Bank for all the obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. So continue on. Interest rates are unlikely to fall back to ultra low. Wait, wait a minute. Uh, yeah, I should probably go. See, Arun, you're getting sneaky up there. 
I apologize for the brief intermission. Just a few years ago, the mortgage industry was in the middle of another extreme, a record boom. The pandemic ushered in low interest rates that prompted millions of homeowners to refinance and others to buy bigger homes. Lenders wrote trillions of dollars worth of loans and added staff at a rapid clip, often paying up to do so. And by that, they mean sign-on bonuses. Sign-on bonuses, high high salaries, wages, yeah. Yeah. But when the Fed started hiking rates last year, the industry quickly swung from feast to famine. And here's a point I wanted to add here. After the Great Recession, the government rolled out something known as the Dodd-Frank Federal Reform Act, right? We'll call it Dodd-Frank. Dodd-Frank was a new set of rules and regulations which coincided with QM and non-QM mortgages. We'll say that for a separate episode, but suffice it to say that the Dodd-Frank Act, in response to the Great Recession, made it very difficult from a compliance perspective for people to lend to consumer homes. Mm-hmm. There was so much that needed to be done. Most notably was something called the ability to repay rule, right? In order to make a loan to somebody, they didn't want any more stated income loans. They didn't want people making loans to somebody who said, I, hey, you know what? I make $100,000 a month. Give me a loan for this house. They, they wanted that to go away. So they held lenders to this higher standard. Oh, oh, oh shit. shit. <laughs> in which they had to underwrite people to this strict guidance. And there were massive penalties if you didn't comply. So now we've seen a shift in the lending environment. Mm-hmm. The top five mortgage lenders in the country are non-bank lenders. Right. There's just been a massive swing from banks who traditionally are the top in this space over to non-bank lenders, largely for that reason. So this industry shrinking is impacting them Right. Much more because this was their only business and banks had a more diversified portfolio, but they also slowed down after the Great Recession in this type of lending. So theoretically speaking, your defaults and your delinquencies on the home loans will be should be far less this time around if unemployment stays unchanged, right? If they were underwritten according to the Dodd-Frank Federal Reform Act and the ability to repay rule underneath it and everybody did their their job right, right. there should in fact be less... But notice, notice the industry that doesn't have those acts with, where they have to prove the ability to repay, like the auto loan industry. Credit card industry. And look what's happening to them now. They're getting hammered. Yeah. A little slap right in the ding-ding. The backhand slap. The one that hurts. The whip. And then, and then ruminates. The, yeah. It, just, it, comes it, goes, like twi- it goes up into your, into your loins. <laughs> yeah, 20 seconds later. <laughs> I don't like playing that game with you. What? Yeah, you play that game too much. What? The slap? Yeah. Slash that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pee touch. <laughs> Interest rates are unlikely to fall back to ultra low levels anytime soon, if ever. On Thursday, mortgage rates again hit their highest level since 2000. Today, obviously, being the day before Halloween. At the Mortgage Bankers Association's annual conference this month, a mantra repeated by a few speakers was stay alive until 25. Oh, That's man. so sad. <laughs> Till 25? My dad's a mortgage banker, by the way, and this is this has been his core bread and butter for years. So I'm laughing because it's funny, not because it's funny. Right. <laughs> when, Dan, that's just, they're writing off 2024. Yeah, oh, yeah. When things might get a little bit better, according to attendees, stay alive till 25 when things might get a little bit better. That Yeah, they're, they already understand what's going on here because— Oh, I'll let you finish and we'll, we'll dive into I it. I mean, but seriously, they're basically saying, 
look, I know guys, girls, everybody in attendance. Um, we are uh, in October of 23. Yeah. I'm going to need you to wait 14 more months right, before listen, you can make any more money. So just to unpack that a little bit, as of right now, uh, the projections are that the Fed will... This is now. I mean, this could get revised. It, it pivots a lot. Yeah, it pivots a lot. It keeps getting pushed back. But right now, they're saying that rates are going to start to get cut in July of 2024. Why this is saying stay alive until 2025? Because they understand that it even just because it's starting to get cut in July of 2024... If it does. If it does, it's incremental, and it will take a long time in order for it to come back down. Oh, yeah. And it, and when it does come back down, that's you know that's what I'm I'm afraid of, I'm afraid of the, all the correction that happens. You know, people are going to be like, oh, I don't want to deal with this again. They're going to jump right back into the market, and what's going to happen? I think your finger gestures were really strong on that. You should use that for real. Yeah. Uh, uh, check. Yeah. <laughs> check. It's like this swoopy check. Over, over stripes. Yeah. Checks over stripes. All all day. Rune, would you know the famous song where that it's sung from? Nope. You're the pop culture guy. He he literally wears stripes over checks. <laughs> no, he wears. No, he wears his. He got his Adidas socks above his Nike shoes. That's disappointing. You're not allowed. That's a that, that's a technical foul. At least wear some like pair of these like Target socks. <laughs> Don't wear this. You make uh, socks. Pair of thieves. Oh yeah. I'm an OG original like pair of thieves guy. Like, back when they had like the nine inch lengths. Oh okay. For us taller guys. See. What? You always do this to me. No, I'm nine inches going down to your thigh, bro. Yeah, the one time where I'm not reminded of how short I am when I'm sitting down, you have to remind me. You're not how, short. How short You're normal height. I'm tall. Uh, yeah, I guess five, eight, five, seven. That's average, right? It's got to be. Arun, what's the average height, man? Both the, I'm. It's the average height, but I, I'm like on the low end of this podcast. The average height for a man worldwide can vary based on blah 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 blah. Nobody cares. Average height for an adult male is around five feet seven inch. Bro, you're. You're, you're tall. inch taller. I'm taller. There you go. You're tall. <laughs> it's important to note that height can vary significantly among different populations and regions. Yeah, no shit. Yeah, okay. You know what? Honestly, this is your tall guy arrogance coming out now. That's what that is. <laughs> That's what it is. No shit, Chris. Us tall guys <laughs> got to stick together. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Basically, it's got, I got elephantitis, what it's saying. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> what? Stay alive at 25, baby. Yeah. <laughs> Some former regulators and industry officials say the current period is worse than the 2008 financial crisis when at least falling rates spurred a large refinancing wave because so many borrowers already locked into, quote, ultra low rate mortgages during the pandemic. There is no big refinance rescue on the way. Right. And that is really scary for the mortgage industry. Now, the real estate sales industry doesn't seem to have the same fear that the NBA does. And of course, when you look at the overall context here, even if they were to cut rates, so I look at the letter that, that the, the Mortgage Bankers Association, the National Home Builders Association, and the National Association of Realtors sent to Jerome Powell saying, hey, stop cutting rates, you know, yeah. blah, 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 stop increasing rates, yeah, start you, cutting rates. You're killing the American you're dream. killing the American dream. They've essentially admitted through their mortgage banking conference that even if the rates are cut, unless they go back down to sub 4%, right. you're not going to have a lot of people refinancing. And, and that's why that's not, important, wait, before you get there, I'm sorry. Yeah. Typically speaking, on average, these are very general numbers. A mortgage company has 75% of their businesses typically refinances and 25% is purchases. Yes. So about 75 of their businesses, their business mm -hmm. by volume is gone for the foreseeable future. Well, right. I mean, 
Yeah, exactly. Uh, a majority of it anyways. Now, some people might be forced to refinance just so that they can pull some cash on, pay down some of this credit card debt that we're seeing. We don't know how many of that is with people that actually own homes that they're going to need to tap into their equity. But yeah, absolutely. You know, 75, I don't feel like everyone's going to be doing that. But in order for it to cut down to 4%, look, we know mortgage rates are closely tied to the 10-year. I don't think you see 4% for even past 25. Yeah. I think you're going to see five handles on everything, which, by the way, was cheap money historically. Right. So if you kind of want to know what's going to happen to mortgage rates, kind of always keep tracking the 10-year treasury that we uh, consistently cite on the show. The 10-year treasury is somewhere, it's close to 5%. It Mortgage rates are always ranging somewhere between 2 to 3% above that. Yeah. So in order for it to get to 4%, the 10-year would have to get down to 2%, man. Yeah, that, and I And I that does that not thing. move. That does not move that fast. No. No. Yeah, it's like a very religious girlfriend. You're going to have to take your time. Yeah, play the long game. Play the long game. Yeah. Marry her. Yeah, but you got to meet her dad first. And ask for permission. Oh, yeah, and then go ask for permission again. And go to church, take those classes. Yeah. Or a so mosque. Either. Yeah. If you go. Become, become friends with her best friend. Even the chunky one? Have to. God damn it. I'm not sure I want to wait. <laughs> I mean, she's <laughs> worth it. <laughs> Arun, nothing? She wouldn't be worth it? His silence back there concerns me deeply. You're worried? Yeah. No, I'm just laughing. Are you laughing? Because yeah. I can usually hear when you're laughing, and I didn't hear anything. <laughs> I'm trying to keep it down because you, you complain. You can laugh on the mic. I just don't want you doing the Billy Goat thing. <laughs> that. that. Yeah. Yeah. That was, uh... <laughs> yeah. Just add it to Chris's editing time. Here's the problem. Is no, at least that one was on the mic. It wasn't muted. The problem is when he does shit like that intentionally, I have to remember later on when I'm editing it oh. that he did it intentionally because every once in a while I'll cut it out and then I'll be talking to him and not realize that I'm talking to him about some shit I cut out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's very confusing. It's, yeah, you got to go back even further. Yeah, it's Jeez. not ideal. No, nah, man. Although I'm going to tell you, I, I figured out the perfect way to fuck with him. Okay, one of these times it's on the mic and it, it's something that I can't cut out. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna take the sound of a Billy Goat going back <laughs> and, <laughs> and replace fill it, it in, yeah, <laughs> and hope and see if he even listens to it. He never listens to our own show. Oh, do you listen to our episodes? There's no way. Oh, I mean, he's editing. <laughs> no, but he's never listened to like I guess just listen. To no, but he's he has to listen. He's editing the whole show. No, he's speeding through. He doesn't have to watch oh. the whole show. Oh, what the fuck, this guy? <laughs> I hate this guy. <laughs> the first time you've been honest all year. Hey, who's hiring? The, who's hiring? The All In Podcast? The All In Podcast, yeah. <laughs> they're, all, they're all billionaires. Yeah. 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 Good yeah. luck sending that out to Fiverr. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've been in this business 40 years, and I don't remember a correction like this, said David Stevens, a former housing finance regulator who now consults for the industry, the mortgage banking industry. Mortgage applications activity is now at its lowest level in nearly 30 years, according to the NBA. Mortgage Bankers Association, mortgage industry employment has already declined 20% to about 337,000 people from 420,000 people in 2021, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics data compiled by the NBA, which anticipates a further 10% decline. I think that's probably lower than the actual number will be, but I'm a negative person, apparently. The employment tally includes mortgage bankers, brokers, and loan processors, but not real estate agents. Mm. which you're already seeing a mass exodus there as well. Yeah. Those still employed are earning less. Loan officers' average monthly pay in September was down by more than half 
from three years ago, according to the financial technology company Encino. A majority of them, though, are taking it on as a second job, right? The realtors? Yeah. Yes, yeah, so they're talking about mortgage banks. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. The average loan officer closed 3.45 loans last month versus 8.15 in the same Damn, month. Damn, 3.45 loans? That's a lot. I would, I would, I would expect it to be even less than that. I would too. That was yeah. kind of shocking. But look, it, it's it's stunning to me how many mortgage companies, not bankers per se, but companies, kept chasing down the rate, trying to beat somebody out. Mm -hmm. All it took was a big player saying, "You know what, guys, we're just not going to go lower than four percent." Right. And they could have locked in their profits a little bit higher, right? And the, the industry could have said, you know what? Yeah, it's getting too crazy. I don't care what the 10 years at. I'm not going below four. The problem was if you didn't go below four, then Bank of America went to 3.75. Right. And then you're out losing business because everyone's going to go to Bank of America. And then they got to keep in mind, they got to do whatever's best interest for the shareholder. So Milton Friedman, as you heard me say on a number of shows, including Mind Pump when I was on there, we had a pretty long talk about him and his theories. He believed that government intervention was generally not the best way to solve for a free market economy. And that the best way is to let the market do what it will. Well, if you take his thought process and you look at what we've got ourselves into, the only way out is going to be some kind of equilibrium, some kind of balance. Something is going to need to happen, right? But to his point, we got here in large part because of the government interference. Right. It wasn't a free market economy. We took unprecedented artificial interest rate deflation. We took unprecedented stimulus. We dumped it into the economy. And the consumers went and did what consumers do. They spent. Right. And they bought shit. Mm -hmm. And they bought shit on credit cards. They bought shit on credit cards. Exactly. And they even got themselves all these fancy new cars. Yep. Right. Arun, if you care to go up the screen a little bit. Uh, just before you, get in, before you get into this chart, too, we routinely say on the show, um, probably something we got to put on some merch at some point in time. Demand without affordability is with, not demand. Right. Yeah, man, I've had a real difficult time up until the last couple months explaining this to a lot of the critics on social media and people who listen to the podcast and DM me, and I, they ask me from a collegial perspective. And you know what? I've been getting a lot of DMs lately from people who listen to the show who are like, hey, I, I want to reach out to you. And for those of you who are trying to reach out, like, I am sorry if it takes me a while to get back to you. I generally get back to everybody. I'm getting hit with a lot of people recently, and I do try to get to everybody. If I haven't responded, just message me again. And I, I will, if you're at the top of the queue, I'll try to respond to you. It's not that I don't want to respond. It's, I get a lot of people who are trying to like, the number one thing I get on social media in bulk is I get dick in bulk from a lot of these guys who are trying to sell me like social media growth services. Yeah. So it's really hard to discern because I'll go through my general box where most people, if I haven't had a conversation with you before, go. Yeah. So just, just message me. And, right. And I'll, and I'll get to this question. So we know uh, demand without affordability is not demand, right? And so... If there is less demand, typically what's supposed to happen with home prices, they're supposed to come down. Mm -hmm. But because what we cited at the top of the show, so many people have rates below 6%, below 5%, even below 4%. The bulk of it's 4% and less, right? Yep. That the supply is not coming online either, right? So they're kind of canceling each other out right now, which is why everyone, people are starting to feel the pinch, but because their rates are so low, they're going to do everything in their power to make sure they don't lose their home. And they'll start to become delinquent on things like their credit cards first. Mm -hmm. So to Saeed's point, this from Chart of the Day, CNBC's Chart of the Day, 
Consumers are taking on more debt and facing bigger risks from carrying the balance. Keep in mind, the credit card rates are pretty high, uh, close to their highest they've been in a long, well, the highest they've been in the last several decades, but not their highest ever. But credit card balances are, in fact, at their aggregate highest number ever. Yeah, look at that. Yeah, it's a full Obviously. swing up. We'll get to the charts in a second, though. This holiday season, shoppers who ring up purchases on credit cards will pay more interest if they carry balances from month to month after the Federal Reserve's string of rate hikes. That's right. They impact you, too. The cost of borrowing has climbed as credit card delinquencies. The number of people making payments toward their balance have ticked up through the metric that remains below the highs of the Great Recession. So, though the metric remain, uh, remains below the yeah, number. I, but, I think I cited on the last show, 7% of people that carry balances on their credit cards are actually experiencing 30-day delinquencies. So... There are several charts here. Chart number one, credit card balances in the U.S. have crested at $1 trillion. Okay, $1 trillion is the highest carrying balance of credit cards in aggregate the United States has ever had. It has gone straight up since 2021. We are well north of double what we were in, call it, 2010. And this number is at its highest of all time, which is a big part of the highest non-household debt we've ever seen. Because this combined with auto debt just puts you way, way out in the ballpark. And just for a refresher, it is now the most expensive it's ever been to buy a new car. Yeah, exactly. That's a fact. Mm -hmm. So that's just real. Chart number two, average interest rate on U.S. credit cards from commercial banks is north of 21%. That has gone almost vertically straight up since about 2022, mm -hmm. which coincides with? The Fed interest rate increases. Exactly. This is a large part of the reason why the pain for the consumers in holding the rates. Because banks can adjust to this quick pivot up and start making loans to start recouping profit. But you, the consumer, you're not going to get wages to come in super high. Yeah, at least fast enough to keep up with this. You'd be lucky to get a wage increase which coincides or equals to inflation. Right. And your real inflation versus the bullshit you're seeing from CPI numbers right. depends on what you spend money on. And I guarantee you, if you've taken a trip, you've traveled, you bought food at the grocery store, your real inflation is probably a lot higher than the aggregate number, which includes foods and services you probably don't use. Right. So I think that people aren't understanding the long-term impacts of this because the companies will find a way to manifest and figure this out. But if you're a W-2 wage earner or you're a business earner and you have consumers that have to buy your product... What are you going to do when your revenue goes down, when your wages go down mm -hmm. and your payments are now considerably higher, over 21%, you're carrying more credit card balance than you ever had before. And then you go to the third chart, delinquency rates on credit card loans in the U.S. already starting to go up mm -hmm. and you're starting to see its peak. And to the article's point, it's not at its height like you saw after 2008, but it's certainly on the same trajectory and probably in an aggressive, more aggressive path than it had been leading up to 2008. Right, and that's just of Q2 of 2023, so I know it's. I definitely know it's higher than that right now. What also came out was auto loan delinquencies for subprime borrowers, right? Mm. Subprime borrowers are those people with low credit scores, limited credit history, and uh, they have you know some past financial challenges, right? Those they are they've reached six point one percent, the highest since 1994. Fun fact: 1994 mm. is when they started tracking. The figure. So the highest ever. 
since they started tracking. That's not good. When someone's like, you know, it's the highest since we've ever started like tracking this. Right. That's not a, that's not a good thing for you, man. Right. So the projections now are that there are going to be 1.5 million repossessions by the end of the year. Last year was at 1.2 million. So that's ticking up. And you keep in mind, you, your car is is one of those items, right? Like like your home. You're going to want to default and be delinquent on like last because mm-hmm. you're going to need that to get from point A to point B. So if you're starting to see this ticking up, you know people are really starting to feel the pinch. And to your point earlier that, you know, your minimum payments are going up and how are you going to be able to, you know, make these minimum payments now that they're at 21% interest rates? Well, the sad part for most Americans are that they've been relying on this credit card debt to make ends meet, right? Because in- inflation has gotten so high and so out of control and they weren't prepared that, you know, just took over. I would love to see data, and I haven't seen it yet, of home equity line of credit usage in the United States. Mm. I want to see the number of people who have on average home equity lines of credit because we have historical unprecedented equity available in these properties, right? Because of the increase in property values over the last three years, in some cases, almost 50%. I'd like to know of the available credit on home equity lines of credit, how, what's the average usage look like right about now? And where has it been historically over the last couple of years? Mm-hmm. I guarantee you that number is up significantly. So the way home equity lines of credit work, right, their terms are usually 10 years, right? 10 years, and you can draw on them in like a line of credit, like your credit card where you pay them up, pay them down. You'll have a minimum payment, which is interest on the balance. Right. And typically speaking, you don't have a out-of-debt provision where you have to pay it off for a certain period of time. Uh, and people can draw on them until they hit their balance. And once you hit their balance, you just have a, a maximum payment based off your interest. But let's just say somebody got a home equity line of credit, let's say, eight years ago, and they've had to now draw on it to pay down some of their debt. Mm-hmm. And let's just say in the next year or two, it comes up for renewal. Then you're going to have to find a lender who will give you a home equity line of credit again to replace that one, or you'll refinance your first trustee. Most people aren't going to want to refinance their first trustee because they have this, on average, below 4% rate. Mm-hmm. So they're going to say, well, I want another home equity line of credit. Well, a lot of lenders are pulling out of that space entirely. Mm-hmm. Of the lenders that are left, many of them will say, I don't want to give you a first trustee, a second trustee to home equity line of credit behind somebody else's first trustee. I want it to be behind my own bank so I have control in the worst case of scenario of default. Right. So let's say you've got a first trustee with Wells Fargo. Let's say they gave you a home equity line of credit. But let's say Wells Fargo now sold your first trustee to J.P. Morgan Chase. Right. Now you go back to Wells Fargo and they say, oh, you know, we would love to give you one, but we only give it to people who have a first trust deed with us. Yeah, that, that might be the case. And you know there's definitely going to be some parameters around there as far as, you know, what your loan to value is. Oh, yeah. And right? it's it's going to come down to where the appraised value is. I think most people will be okay on the appraised value side. I think it'll be like more of, look, I worry it's about harder th- to qualify for one now because our underwriting requirements are stricter. Mm-hmm. And your wages are down and your debt load is higher because you all this credit card debt. So now I got to include your massive credit card debt into your monthly payments. You don't qualify for as much. Right. Well, I worry about the the people that have been buying homes over the last year or so, right? Because we routinely cited on the show that it was becoming less and less likely that people could even put down 20% on a home, yep. right? It's mm-hmm. probably looking closer to 10%. Yeah. Right? And then what's going to happen if they feel a pinch? There's not enough equity for them to tap into. No, and uh, I think there's a wave of possible defaults there. I mean, the good news is for most of them that if they have the right perspective and they did things right, their mortgage should be cheaper than rent would be for a similarly situated property. Yeah. Similarly situated property. Mm -hmm. Uh, So 
Look, there's default risk all over the market. Uh, a lot of people would tell you that there's not. I disagree with that. I think that that's turning a blind eye to this debt problem. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. pretty massive. It is massive. But let's look at the implications of what this means long term. And we'll go to another article from CNBC. Here's America's net worth at every age. For people under 35, it's up 142%, like we referenced top of the show. And um, there's a chart here, Rune, if you could scroll down and find it. There it is. This chart I like in particular because it puts it into context. It compares 2022 to 2019, right? So three years. And to see the growth in net worth over three years. And for people under the age of 35, full disclosure, under the age of 35 is the smallest net worth on the spectrum, which goes from under 35, 35 to 44, goes from 45 to 54, 55 to 64, 65 to 74, and then over 75. Mm -hmm. Now, in 2022, there's been a pretty significant shift in how much people have acquired worth-wise compared to 2019. Now, under 35 went from $16.1,000 net worth to, what is that, 33? $39,000 net worth. Yeah, it's a real small font. So it's been a pretty significant jump for them in net worth, but that's nothing compared to the big macro picture. When you look at 35 to 44, net worth on average went from 105.9 thousand to 135.6 thousand. Mm -hmm. A good jump. Right. 45 to 54 went from an average net worth of 195.4 thousand to 247.2 thousand. Right. 55 to 64, 246 thousand in 2019 to 364 thousand in 2022. Uh, 65 to 74, 308,000 to 409,000 in 2022. And 75 and over, 295,000 to $335,000. Wow. So the, the greatest the greatest was from 55 to 64, probably a lot of equity from their homes, right? Well, probably a lot of equity from their homes, exactly. Now, here's what I would say. The group under the age of 35 on average has a lower probability of buying a home today than mm -hmm. any of those other groups did during their lifetimes. Yeah. Because they all were the benefit, benefactor of some great prosperous economies. Now more than ever, those people will be priced out of the market. And you look at the comparison of the net worth of those people, even in today at $39,000, if you're the average uh, median net worth below the age of, of 35, that isn't a ton of money to put down towards a, a property in America today. Right. The average property is what, $400,000? Uh, yeah, I think I could, from Redfin's data, I have it right here, was 411000 so 411,000, 10% of that is more than their net worth. Yeah. And keep in mind to qualify for a loan in many cases, you also need your down payment plus six months of principal interest taxes and insurance. Exactly. So if that's the, the, the conundrum that we're at right there, they're dealing with inflation. They're dealing with massive credit card debt, the highest in history. Right. They're dealing with auto loan, the massive cost of auto loans. Wages aren't keeping up with inflation. And now you're walking into what could be a higher unemployment market, which means it's going to drive wages down. You have to ask yourself, the long-term impacts of the housing market, what we have here, is it going to drive these numbers down over time as the median net worth in the U.S. will decrease because people have been unable to buy a home for longer periods of time? It's a genuine concern. I know I saw in our, uh, somebody had commented uh, one of our posts um, about, you know, the conversation of 40-year mortgages has oh, entered, yeah. and I think you responded saying, not a long-term solution. That was my neighbor. Yeah. Oh, that was your neighbor? Yeah. Shout out, Jessica. What's up, girl? Uh, hey. Okay. Um, so maybe go into that, because I know that um, some people have been floating that idea around why that not might not be the best idea. 
Well, I mean, anytime you stretch out debt over a longer period of time, you're allowing for a significant amount more interest to be paid by you. Right. And yeah, the payments might be smaller because you're amortizing it over 40 years, but the interest you're paying also adds on 10 more years of interest. So you're paying way more. If you ever want to see how impactful it is, go to any mortgage calculator, type in the interest in the number of years, and then add 10 more years to it, and you're paying a significantly more amount of money. Now, the, the counter argument to that is, is, well, you know what, you're paying less every single month, so it improves your cash flow. And I get that, I do. But honestly, I don't think that's a solution long-term for the problems that we're dealing with here. I think the long-term solution is you need to have a Molotov cocktail, a Monte Carlo analysis, like we talked about, where wages increase, interest rates go down, mm -hmm. and home values go down. Yeah, That's the only way this problem gets better. Yeah, And I don't know how you get there. I don't know what the catalyst is. I think this is part of that equation. But I think it's going to be a prolonged, long, painful burn. That's just what it is. It definitely needs to get there. Yeah, because we are we know that people are going to continue to get pinched. Savings are going down every every single month, right? This credit card debt is a huge problem. And the Fed has come out and said that they're going to hold rates higher for longer, meaning it's only going to squeeze the consumer more, mm -hmm. you know, every single month until they decide to cut rates in once they feel like this problem is under control. So PCE came out. Odin, can you jump over to that uh, CNBC article, please? Core inflation? Yeah. So PCE, the uh, personal consumption expenditures, right? This index right here is the Fed's preferred measure on inflation. So Core PCE, yeah. Yeah. So when we routinely talk on, on the show that their preferred measures to get it down to 2% inflation, right? Um, this came in. At 3.7% uh, core PCE, right? So we're still a ways away, almost double the Fed's target rate, right? And all this really means to everybody is that they're a ways away. This is very sticky still. You know, we're, tonight is the eve of their FOMC meeting for, the, uh, for this month. Um, tomorrow it begins, and Jerome Powell is going to come out on November 1st and He's going to leave the option open to still raise rates in December. And he's going to say, you know, we're still looking at the data. We don't know where this is going to go, but we may have reached our terminal rate. We may not have. So we'll see, um, which which should signal to everybody that GDP print that came out last week or two weeks ago that even they realized that it was completely bogus. Why is 2% the sweet spot? Mm. Oh, that's a longer conversation, but... It had been the sweet spot since Ben Bernanke was in office where he suggested that that would be the target range. Uh, it wasn't until recently that we actually adopted it as he, he, it was always, they would always aim for two to 3% as a healthy growth number. And that's just what they'd seen over time and kind of modeled out. And Ben Bernanke was the first person to really, I think, speak it into existence. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't until this uh, Jerome Powell's office that they really said that it was the actual target rate and they kind of galvanized right. that we have to hit this number. There are those people out there who believe that you really have to aim for 1% and then land on 2% because it's kind of a moving target as you get down there and as you build momentum in the economy. We always talk about elasticity. We really mean momentum. Uh, but it's long been kind of the consistent, healthy growth rate over time that they felt was sustainable. There's yeah. some argument that it's, it's a kind of a, a best of all scenarios number, but it's not actually based on any quantifiable real number in my mind. Right, because it's never stagnant. It never just stays right there at 2%. You hear us cite this month over month. Mm -hmm. It fluctuates, right? And to Chris's point, they believe it's an, it's just enough to 
it, it, it can sustain that level where it can stimulate economic growth, right? Businesses are out there still being profitable. The stock market's doing well. And it, it leaves people hungry enough to continue to go out and search for higher paying jobs. It's a sustainable growth model, yeah. right? So here's my, here's my counter argument to it. And there are a lot of economists who would disagree. When you think about the stock market in terms of growth, well, actually here, I'll give you a better real world example. The, what is it? The fan, Magnificent Seven is mm -hmm. what's replaced what was then the Fang because they didn't want to be the Mang <laughs> when Facebook changed its name to, to Meta. And there's also some other people in, involved in NVIDIA's in it and everything else now. Right. But these seven stocks, which are all effectively tech stocks, mm -hmm. right? They really are the market. They're 30% of the market. Right. So when those stocks are up, guess what? The market's up. Yeah. When those stocks go down, the market's down. Those stocks are flat or kind of mediocre on the day, then the rest of the market kind of have it, its impact. That's a good point. That, that's a good point why you're always seeing people reference these stock prices. Yeah, the Magnificent Seven are a huge part of the stock market. Right. So uh, I, I say this because there's a false belief. We, we don't look at the markets and go, okay, you know what? These companies can not make a ton of money this year and they can not grow this year and they're okay. We expect companies to improve every single quarter after quarter, kind of like our GDP. Mm -hmm. We expect 2% growth and 2% growth and 2% growth and 2% growth. And ooh, it's not growing. Ooh, bad, 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 bad. Right. But that's not real. But with, with that, though, they also get the, the benefit of analysts coming out and consistently revising their projections. So And they revise them down once, they revise them down twice. They're they constantly them revising them down, and they're revising them up or down, but if... They're revising them down, 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 right, from their initial projections, and then they somehow beat that, but they didn't beat their initial projections. All you're going to see in the headline is Facebook beats projections or Meta beats projections, mm -hmm. Tesla beats projections, right? And you're like, wait a minute. And the bigger the company, it's usually one analyst or one person that will cover it or multiple people that will cover it versus like a, a small cap stock where there's like 15 uh, mortgage companies in your – in your portfolio and you have to manage every single one of them and know how they compete with one another. It's, it's different. So there's a lot more scrutiny in the larger companies and the details, but they're constantly having conversations with wall street and the secondary market to help them establish proper expectations for guidance. Right. So it, it's a very manipulated thing in my mind. And I think it's a false belief that companies and businesses grow consistently over time. So when you don't have these expectations, the market reacts and goes down. Well, why do we expect GDP to grow at 2%? That would assume that all the businesses are growing healthy. Sometimes you got bad economies. Right. So I think in a, in a best case scenario, 2% growth, they feel is not so disproportionate to where there's going to be some scaled back the next year. Mm -hmm. They look at it as sustainable growth over time. Right. Right. You can handle that. Think about it this way. If a person grows five inches in a single summer, they're going to be goofy. They're going to get hurt. They're slow. They're going to be slow. They're not going to understand their bodies. Right. But if you grow an inch every summer for five years, you might be athletic and talented and be able to grow into the, your athleticism that so way. I had a teammate in high school that grew like seven inches over summer. I grew uh, almost six inches over my freshman year. Was it painful? Do you remember it? Yeah. I le legitimately had growing pains. Like, that was a real thing. Wow. Like, my knees, my like especially below the knees and, like, my arms, they would hurt. Man. So then... So I don't know what this is going to do. If this continues to remain sticky, right? That's just all we're, you you might just see the projections of a Fed rate cut in 2024 continue to get pushed out. I believe it will be the, sticky. Yeah. I really do. I I've long said and you you you've heard me say on the show. I I I truly believe that unless rent and rent equivalent come down 
tangibly. Right. That's the part that I think a lot of real estate agents miss when we have these debates on social media, which I have a lot, is they try to argue that that home values aren't going to come down. Okay, fine. I'll go with your theory. Fine. Okay. How do we get to target inflation? Right. How does the pain for you and everybody else related to this business stop? Right. Unless we get there. Well, everything else can come down. That doesn't make sense. Well, remember what I said not too long ago, that the Fed's going to ultimately may have to decide to turn course at 3%. I know they said 2%, mm-hmm. but it might be virtually impossible because of how far rent and rent equivalent, meaning home prices, right? Because it's not it's not just your rent on an apartment building, right? It's it's how much rent would you pay for the home, right? And that's directly tied to the mortgages that people pay, yeah. right? So unless that comes down significantly, we're not going to hit that 2% range. And I think that's lost on a lot of people. We get so caught in the day-to-day and the rhetoric and all the shit that everybody's talking that I think we lose sight of the bigger picture. And the bigger picture is you got to hit these target numbers that come close to them. Mm-hmm. I think that people really wildly underestimated because I get it. If you're a consumer and you're not really into the underlying metrics of how PCE and CPI work, you go, okay, well, we had 9.1% inflation. Now we're down to like half that. Yeah. Like we made a lot of like, we're there guys. Like we're close yeah. to three. Yeah. No. And people don't realize again, we've referenced body fat on the show. It's like your body fat, the, the lower and lower you go, the more difficult it is. It gets exponentially mm-hmm. harder as you get down. It's not a straight line from one to 10. Right. You know, from nine to 4% or nine to 2% inflation. Right. It gets exponentially harder as you go down. That, that first cutoff was almost a gimme. I know. And now that you're down to this sticky range, you got to have some significant pivots in what's 33, 34% of your, of your inflation number. And that's rent and rent equivalent. And who I really feel bad for too, are all the people out there that were probably believing the hype and the optimism that was being spewed their way early on in the year that there's going to be rate cuts by the end of the year. So maybe they thought they were still going to get their company bonuses. Oh, yeah. How many people aren't going to get their company bonuses this year? How many people may not even get raises this year? Because your your raise is, is to help you keep up with inflation, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's been an interesting topic, too, as of late with a lot of CEOs of companies, and I've had some conversations there, too. It, it's really, if you're a company that's making money, I get it. Like, you know, I get that you want to give some of that back to the employees and you got to figure out how to do it. But everything that you do to raise salaries across the board You've now got to make more revenue the next year yes, to cover those salaries and still be profitable and still do all the things. And if you were on the fringe, it gets very, very difficult. I feel for a lot of the people in these companies. But at the same time, you probably didn't pay your employees a salary increase last year that kept up with what was then 9% inflation. Right. They're now looking at 4% inflation, inflation, inflation. <laughs> and uh, they're probably saying something to the effect of like, look, okay, like, so now last year I got 9% inflation. Mm-hmm. This year I got 4% inflation. You didn't give me an increase last year, or if what you did it didn't keep up with that, right. I'm going to need 4% this year. Yeah, I know. Now, a CEO's perspective would be, okay, we had 9% inflation. We had 4% inflation, right? If I gave you 3% last year and 3% this year, it might be under inflation in both cases, but what if inflation goes the other way, mm. right? What if it goes down to 1%? Do I get to cut your salaries? You know, like, yeah, that is a big what if, though. We know that's not going to happen. I know, but a CEO would say, you want the upside, but you don't want the downside risk. Right. And that's where it gets very difficult to, to to manage both worlds as the employee and the CEO mindset. And I get there's, there's a big difference. There. And you got to and they got to be very really careful too, right? There's so much that goes into this. Imagine if it's a company that just had to do a, several rounds of layoffs. Yeah, uh, how, I mean the the PR on that is really tough. But I say it's time to get into these reviews, man. 
man, these reviews are fucking excellent. Before we do that, um, I was at a, a birthday party this weekend, and uh, one of my favorite chefs in Orange County, Ross um, Paglian, John's brother, you know him. Okay. He owns Mix Mix. He owns a bunch of restaurants, uh, and he's frankly Filipino, and he has like a lot of really Filipino inspired dishes. One Mix Mix, the terrace that we go to in South Coast Plaza, it's yeah. spectacular. Um, my wife and I have gone there a number of times, and they have some really good, just really good food, man. Sometimes when you're just cold, some of the stuff they have is just amazing. It has like that warm, like home, homey feel to it. But he and his wife tell me that out of nowhere, his wife Tara. They tell me that they listen to the show and that they're fans. And I'm sitting here going like, wow. damn. And the first thing I could think of was, I'm sorry. <laughs> Every time. Every time. Like, I feel bad. That's my reaction. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but I feel bad. We told me why. Um, it was so it's my mom's birthday is today. Oh, happy birthday. Yeah. And so we You know started... whose birthday it is today, too? Who? Bob's. Oh, is it? Happy yeah, birthday, Bobby. Bobby, if you're listening. He's not listening. He's not. Well, Son of a bitch. Send him a text. But um, we celebrated last night. And they, my mom and uh, Odin's mom, my mother-in-law... They got to talk and they're like, you know, we gotta listen to the podcast. I'm like, no, 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 no. Yeah, <laughs> not is, not for you. Yeah, this is actually off limits. Yeah. What do what I've done. My dad believes and my uncle believe that the shorts, those reels that we put on social media, All right. they think that is the podcast. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, guys, that's the podcast. Yeah, the full 30 seconds. That's all we do every night. 30 seconds and we stay there for three hours and fuck around and find out. <laughs> fuck around and find yeah. out. Yeah. Mostly making fun of a room. <laughs> yeah. I'm worth it. Yeah, my dad can't figure out what you do at all. Like, I've tried to explain it to him, like, four times. Yeah. And he's like, so he's the one who makes the videos? I'm like, yeah, dad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, man. Anyways, I had to tell him, because God knows, if they listen to it, I'm like, I'm going to have to explain this every single weekend. So what is yeah. it exactly that you guys are talking about? Just don't worry about it. Please. I'm sorry. <laughs> I got to tell you, because all the, all the weird, like, Muslim, like, reels I've been sending you about, yeah. like, you know, guys eating pork and stuff like that and drinking alcohol and everything, that my feed is now filled with, like, <laughs> like, like these guys who are, like, just taking shots. I'm like, why is this in my feed now? And I'm like, fuck. It's the worst feed to have. I can only imagine what a Rune's feed is on social media. It's got to be weird. Oh, yeah. What, are, what is your feed? Primarily? It's got to be sports. Sports. For sure. Sports. It's got to be sports. Oh, no, I know what it is. He's been posting a lot of Israel-Palestine-based That's stuff. what it is. There's a lot of that, That's too. what it is, yeah. I yeah, know right it. now it's all that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, that's... I can understand how it could be, like, you feel guilty turning away from it. Yeah, that's basically what it is. Yeah. I don't feel guilty turning away from it because, you know, I, I want to acknowledge what's going on there and I want to know, like, for real what's going on there. But at the same time, I hate the politicized, like, disinformation, information spin on a lot of things. And I hate how people are being censored by social media. That shit pisses me off more than anything else. Yeah, man. Like, I, I don't care if someone's posting something they believe in, if they really, truly believe in it. I want to see it. Yeah. Whenever I post something or I share something, I have to look it up to make sure that's actually factual. There was this thing going around on Facebook. We're not going to get too political here. But if you had posted something with the word Palestine in it, it modified it to say terrorist. Uh, was that was that the that, thing? That got fat checked. Yeah, was that fact checked. Was that yeah, real? That was real. Yeah. Damn. So it got wow. it got pretty crazy. Yeah, which is just and really that, that's the power of podcasting that that still appeals to me to this day. The long form content, right? The long form content, stuff like this. If you're seeing the clip on social media, we can be censored very easily. Mm -hmm. But the podcast, there is no censoring body. Yeah. Even with Joe Rogan, people were really like, "Oh, this is offensive. This is offensive." Spotify put labels on it, but they didn't. They didn't stop him from saying that shit. Right. That's the beauty. You get true free speech, unbiased content on a form like this. 
that's where I think th- this type of platform, not necessarily our show, but all shows and in general and podcast. Right. I think that's where the value is. The only the only problem with that too is a, a lot of people who are starting something like this out and believe in you know freedom of speech like that, they're still somewhat censored because they have a nine to five. You know, oh, you yeah. have to be I mean, you have to be really careful with how much you put yourself out there, um, and you got to be willing to really risk it all, man. If you really want to say something, imagine stuff. you two unfiltered. No, no. Oof. Oh, me unfiltered. I get everybody fired. I'm trying. To, I get everybody listening to the show fired. That, that's that's how raw I'll get I unfiltered. Know. I'm trying to make sure one day we can go unfiltered. I'll make Eddie Murphy go. God damn. <laughs> Take it easy. <laughs> like, bro, commentate <laughs> wait. Commentate <laughs> wait. <laughs> oh, dude, right. do you mind pulling up these reviews, please? You just get so on your phone. What are you doing? No, man? just the title. I, the title gets cut off on the phone. I want to make sure that we get this right because it's worth it. It is worth it. There were two spectacular reviews this week, and uh, both of them went the extra mile in very different ways. But... Uh, we'll start off with this one because I know this one already. This from Stephen A. Burns, acknowledging the elephant in the room. Five stars. Mm. Clearly, Stephen is honest. I mean, obviously. Yeah. Right? I mean, if you acknowledge the elephant. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean. <laughs> exactly. So as a mortgage broker that sees the market in real time, you guys are saying exactly what I've been feeling and seeing over the last couple months. I'm a new listener, but you guys are hitting the nail on the head in the couple of episodes I've listened to. You feel like an old listener. We've known forever. We love you. Yeah, exactly. We Mr. love Burns. Every single one of you. So many professionals in the real estate industry are still selling homeownership as if it's going out of style when we all know this market is not sustainable. Well, I'll be damned. All facts, no cap. There you go. Glad to see you guys are acknowledging what we are seeing, but nobody seems to be uh, talking about it because it doesn't help their agenda slash wallet. God damn. So sexy. I mean, just all like matter of fact, like real. Thank you, man. I got to tell you, out of all the people who leave reviews, it's stuff like that that's super impactful because not only in the space, but you had the, I mean, just the self- worth in the the, the the perspective to be able to say something like that it means a lot because i know a lot of people are upset by the things that we say particularly me mm. by the way i just thought of for, for sweatshirt yeah why didn't one of the quotes we use is your riz is off king <laughs> oh man why didn't we use that or fact no cap all facts no cap i was thinking hashtag trauma the higher standard all facts no cap done look at that Hashtag trauma. He tries to throw in some shit up there. Yeah, but you, you but and I did you all know, the work. You know, you know why? You're over here doing you know the real why? work. He, he remembers how excited you got over the whole tra- trauma situation. Trauma. <laughs> how about that? On the back, the higher stand in the front, the one at the left on the logo, and the yeah. right, recorded in Los Angeles in the back, your wrist is off, King. <sighs> Done. That's a good one. That's a really, really good one. Like you're doing like the old school, like Jersey fun or something. So where oh, it's like, you know. I love that. Look at you. Yeah. I'm out here designing stuff. Yeah. I can I'm tell. cerebellum. Cerebellum. Uh, all right. La- this is the last one. So if this is from David T. Ellis. Oh, shit. Strap in, kids. David came hard. David came hard. I feel like he knows this better than we know ourselves. David came like Cialis in the morning. <laughs> I want to invite David to the studio. Yeah. I, I want to hug this. If, if you come out to me and you this is you in real life, you're getting a fucking hug whether you want one or not. Right. So titled Kermit, Mr. Prepaid Credit Cards, and Saeed. I just want to know why I wound up being prepaid credit cards. I love how I didn't get a nickname. He did call me a name though later. Is, is in he this referring review. to a room being Kermit or? Yeah, he's being Kermit because of his voice. He's always clearing his throat. <coughs> oh. he, he basically said you sound like Sam Zell. R.I.P. That's a good. That's yeah. Good. 
It's good. That's good. She's cerebral. All right, wow. here we go. Cerebellum. This podcast is about a producer who drinks monster energy drinks in between getting sick a lot, a financial guy who wasn't good at law, banking, or real estate, so he decided to do all three. Yeah. And a co-host who doesn't see his kids often because he drives three hours each way from his home to work each day. I'm sorry. That's not what he said. What did he say? It's from his home. No, he didn't say from his that's home. That's what he said. He said from his palazzo. You lying son of a bitch. <laughs> I read said. this review. You don't do my man wrong. You better read his review as accurate. From his, from his palazzo home to work each day. It's true, man. I don't get to see my kids enough. Okay. From your palazzo. <laughs> from my palazzo. There you go. Out here lying about my man's review. If guys prove they like each other by poking fun at the people they love, then I won't bring up their hair plugs, weight loss, or being a paper-pushing nerdy underwriter. God damn. So for the record, you hard, I'm man. the hair plugs, yeah. ruins the weight loss, and you're the bitch. Bro, he's, <laughs> he, he slow rolled me. He, gave, he used my name. Hey. He spelled, look, he spelled my name right. For the record. My hair plugs make me look better. His weight loss makes him look better. You're just an asshole. I'm a pushy, un- nerdy <laughs> underwriter. God damn. We're looking better. You're looking yeah, worse. This is, the sad part is it's true. He came for you. He did. You're a nerdy underwriter. You he, paper pushing son of a bitch. <laughs> I love you, David. Paper bitch. Uh, but if you want to listen to two guys bring the truth with authenticity and an earnest desire to be real about money and the economy, listen to this podcast, which is produced by an adult man that drinks apple juice. Don't forget to bring your thick skin as a listener because if you're in insurance, banking, or real estate, eventually they will come for you too. Did I talk about drinking apple juice? Like, no, you open one with your ass. You open it with your ass. And by the way, it it wasn't uh what, what you Mott's said. apple it juice. It wasn't a Mott's. It, I think they're called Mart- Martinelli's or something. I don't think I don't think they're Mott's. The glass ones are yeah. Martinelli's. Oh. Yeah, because did, did you go home and research opening? Well, apples, I was ask? trying to use a, a, for a post for the stories, and I typed in Mott's, and it wasn't Mott's. Okay, well, I'm sorry, I don't know my apple juice manufacturers that, yeah. that well. I mean, typing glass apple juice. It was. It probably was Martinelli's, wasn't it? Yeah, because they also made the sparkling apple juice. Yeah, that's the one. There you go. God damn! <laughs> How did you fit that in your ass? <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, David, five stars for your review. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well done, sir. Well done. Oh, man. So we, um, we, we dish it and we could take it too. I was in the golf course today when I got when you sent me this, this Don't this say that. Don't say that. I was driving. I wasn't okay, playing. Okay. But you need to clarify because you're not about that life. No, I'm not about that life. God damn, Nick What's your is handicap? good, bro. What's My your, shoulder. Oh, like, Nick am, was there? Nick was there. Ugh, Nick is good. Bro, he said, he's like, I play once a year. This motherfucker was hitting every green. He don't want it you It was to know. so bad. The other guy playing with him. Bob wouldn't play anymore. He, he gave up. He's like, fuck him. I'm let him go. Yeah, Nick's good, man. He just, he's you know, like, oh, I play once a year. I'm like, get the fuck out of here. You play once a year. Our caddy was like, Chavez was like, get the fuck out of here, this guy. Yeah. He's like, you are either the best golfer I've ever seen naturally or you're a lying motherfucker. Uh, you know, the, the beauty behind Professor Norris, man, he just, he has an appreciation for detail. So he'll like study. I remember he used to practice his swing all the time in the office. Yeah, then, then throughout the day he starts dropping like little gems on me. Oh yeah, he's like, oh, you know, I have a golf club by my desk and I swing it while I'm on calls every day. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, bro. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm bro, like, I'm telling you, man. I know, I know, you're not in, you're not into sports like that anymore. You don't have the time for it. But I don't have time for that. the shit talking that goes down in golf is second to none. When when would I have time? I was out there from fucking. Like ten o'clock this morning, I think I left the course at like six something p.m. Yeah, 
Got home, got Carter into bed with the, the wife. Came, I was home for maybe an hour and 15 minutes. Yeah. No, well. Got you, here. I'm going to be home by 1. I have to be up at the office by 6.30. When in, the fuck would I play a sport? In order, to, in order to be able to play golf and stay good, you have to consistently play and practice. Yeah, man. I ain't got that in me. But I'll, I'll say this. It's one of the most fun experiences, man. I look at it like this. It's beautiful, too. The courses are just gorgeous. If I'm a, yeah, No, it's beautiful. If I was going to dedicate time to this kind of shit, yeah. I'd rather be in the gym for 45 minutes working on something that's going to keep me healthier for longer. Yeah, I know. No, but you're, you're, you're underplaying the value of, you know, enjoying something like that. Because some people give real enjoyment, and it's good, it's good for the mind, man. Good for the brain. This is good for my mind. This is good for my brain. It is. I'm saying that could be, too. Nah. That vitamin D. See, you don't you, get a lot of vitamin D. You always got to make it a dick joke, bro. I got red light therapy. Come on, man. I got a juve panel. My pump. OG listener, baby. Y'all know what I'm talking Odun about. Odun got me a membership to go to a golf course. I've, I've yet to go. I need to go. <laughs> a membership? Three months ago. Yeah, three months ago. Are you a member of this club? No, it's not a, it's not a club. It's, like a, it's, a, it's a public course, but if you become a member, you get like better discounted rates on things. There's only one reason why I want to learn how to golf. One reason, one reason only. And it's not what you think. What do you think it is? I have no idea. Spend more time with Carter. I have no oh, idea. Play, play with him. Yeah, it's a sport that you could play with him longer. Oh, if he got into it, I'd be, I'd be all over it. I mean, oh, I'd, I'd yeah, sport yeah. Whatever you want. Mm -hmm. Top golf. Oh, you could do that now, man. No, but I, I don't know how to swing a club. Like I've never actually like consistently swing a club. Oh. Like I don't know. I could. We should do a team bonding experience. I want to try that that top top golf version they're doing with basketball hoops in Vegas. That's actually out. I saw, I saw the they're building it. Yeah, they're yeah. build it. I don't know how I don't know how well that's gonna do because top golf you could do it's kind of like bowling right with basketball you know motherfuckers are gonna be out there sweating no way how are you gonna shoot in like a dress shirt it's not possible uh, okay I mean put a lot of thought into that but yeah it's not gonna do well why you gotta kill my dreams man that's not your dream man you're not even a basketball player anymore what are you doing basketball players don't wear hats like that yeah I don't I, I when was the last time you shot a ball yeah like in a hoop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, damn. I don't know. It's been a minute. Yeah, it's been a long time. The next studio will have will have a court inside of it. God, I hope not. Oh my god, it would be really embarrassing for you guys to lose a game of horse to me and not, me not having touched the basketball as long as I have. I or losing a game to me, Chris. I promise you. I promise you. Ten out of ten times that would never happen. Ten out of ten times. Ten out of ten times that would never happen. This is why people call you the villain, bro. That I'm, level of arrogance. I'm just telling you, I'm that like, confident. Like Michael Jordan can do that and get away with it because he's Michael Jordan. You're Saeed Omar, bro. <laughs> you can just get that back a couple notches, all right? Ten I mean, out of ten. Ten out of ten. Take eight out of ten. Don't 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 be that guy. I'll be honest with you. Ten out of ten, man. Oh shit. We're gonna have to do this. Just say goodnight now. All right. Good night, everybody. I apologize in advance for Saeed Omar, but remember, if you want to criticize him openly, it's Saeed at higherstandardpodcast.com. Good night, everybody. Bye! Mm -hmm.